The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, the final verses of this chapter. And the title of the message is The Power of Forgiveness. Now, this relates to everybody in here, starting with moi, me. Um, this, if, you know, salvation is about God forgiving you of all your sins. How many of you, by the way, are really, really thankful and glad every sin you've ever committed in your whole life is already washed away by the blood of Jesus? Amen? Hallelujah. Now let's flip the coin of salvation on the other side. The other side of the coin is not only has God, because of who he is and his nature and character, forgiven you of all your sins, the flip side of that is now that we are his children and sons and daughters, we are to be like him and have his character and nature and forgive all of those who have sinned against us. So, Matthew 18, beginning of verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Now, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I have to forgive him? That's how I would interpret it. Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. <laughs> All right, let me, let, let's start off with this. Number one in your outline, if you want to follow along, the first life lesson is we must learn there is power in forgiveness. Putting this uh, story where Peter comes and asks Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive a guy that keeps sinning against me? I need to put it in its Jewish context. Some of the rabbis taught, because in the, you know, in the, the laws that God gave through Moses, talked about forgiveness. Number one, a big deal that we need to have a sacrifice for our sins, even as the people of God, so that we can be forgiven. But then also in God's law was you have to forgive your brother, your sister. You have to forgive your neighbor. But it didn't tell how many times. So that became a question that would come up, and they were always, so then they would go to the rabbis, and the rabbis said, well, it doesn't explicitly say, so they would get together. This was a, one of many kind of discussions that rabbis would have. They would look at the scriptures, here's what's given, here's what it says, we know that we have to forgive, but it doesn't tell us how many times. So they would begin arguing and debating, and some would say this, and some would say that, and and then eventually, with all the debates and all the arguments, they would kind of come down to a consensus and then give it to the people. So here's what they came up with. Somebody comes up and they do something really nasty and, yeah, okay, you got to forgive them. That's the law. Okay, I forgive them. Then they come back and they do it again a second time. Okay, yeah, you got to forgive them again. Then they come back the third time and do it again. And they're like, yeah, you got to do it at least three times. If you do it three times, you fulfilled the requirements. This is what the rabbi said. It's not in the Bible, but that's how they interpreted it. So the idea was you go along and you have somebody that keeps bugging you and they keep doing it. You count one, two, three, and then boom, then you go after them, right? But then all of a sudden Jesus comes along and he's taking the whole concept of the Father and the nature of God and forgiveness to levels no one had ever seen nor any rabbi had ever touched. Not only was Jesus forgiving the religious people that are trying to follow the law, but maybe fail, 
He's going outside the synagogues and into the community of those who are atheists, backslidden, betrayers, uh, tax collectors like Matthew. He'd basically turn in his whole Jewish card. I'm just going to get money from Rome or prostitutes and harlots and, and, uh, and publicans and sinners and drunkards of all kinds and the immoral. And Jesus is going out beyond the religious community, out into the sea of humanity. I forgive you. My Father forgives you. You are forgiven again and again and again. So Peter and the disciples realize, wow, he's taken it to a whole new level. Well, how far has he taken it? But they're still wondering, how many times do you have to forgive before you can finally start getting even, maybe? So Peter comes up with what he thinks, I'm going to more than double what the rabbis say. They say three times, I'm going to say seven. And I have a feeling Peter was kind of expecting that maybe Jesus would go, oh, wow, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my brother. You've had divine revelation. But no, Jesus does not say that. He goes, no, not three, not seven, but 70 times seven. Mind blown. Right? For Peter and all the 70. What is 70 times seven? 490. You mean I got to count to 490 times before I can get even with the guy? No, Jesus was not saying, you know, 493, 494, you know, or whatever, 483, 484, waiting to get to 490. The number is seven. So in a Jewish context, this is a Jewish idiom. Seven means completion. Seven means perfection. Seventy times seven means forever unending. In other words, by saying 70 times 7, Jesus is clearly expressing that God's forgiveness has no end. And that means even for you and for me. Can I hear an amen, amen. and a hallelujah? Aren't you glad he's never going to, he's not counting going, all right, you've gone once too far, I'm coming after you. Because many of the other cults, and by the way, religion which this is about a relationship with God as his family. Religion always has measures and limits. Every other religion, you just you ask a couple of questions. You get, okay, what is the measure? What's the limit? You've gone too far, and there's always a punishment factor, and then there's going to be, you're going to get it. So religion is you're always measuring and you're always counting and you're always falling short and you're always living in fear and anxiety. But not the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is about forgiveness, eternity, and love. Peter was asking for measures and limits and Jesus' answer startled him because where there is love, Jesus is saying there are no limits. God will never come to the end of being able to love you or forgive you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad that there's not a record of our wrongs anymore because of the love of God? It's wonderful. Now, so that's, that's the beginning of the story, but that prompts Jesus now to tell a story. I love story time with Jesus. He's always telling stories, and I love stories. So wait till you hear this one. Beginning in verse 23. Uh, so Jesus said, I do not say seven times seven, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts 
with his servants. So he's a king. The king has the kingdom. He's got the finances. He makes loans to the people. Verse 24, and when he had begun to settle accounts, meaning I'm calling your loan today. You owe me, pay me everything that you owe. There was one who was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's hard to put in perspective what that means, but it's an astronomical sum. I would say, just for ease of calculation in your mind, just basically say that there was a guy, he owed a billion dollars. And he's just like a normal guy. There's like no way possible that he can. And so then his loan gets called. You owe me a billion dollars. Pay me today. In verse 25, but he, he was not able to pay. As he was not able to pay, his master commanded, okay, you can't pay me. And I call the loan today. He, you are to be sold. He commanded that he is to be sold and his wife and his children and lose everything that he had and that payment be made. His whole family becomes slaves for the rest of their life and he'll never be able to pay it off. Now verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him. He literally falls on his knees and he begs, he is begging, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Please don't put me in prison. Please don't put my wife and children in prison. Be patient with me. I'll pay everything back, which there is no way he could have anyway. But now here's what's interesting, verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. When he saw that man that owed him, said, you're going to jail and you're going to prison and you're going to be a, a slave. He falls on his knees and the master's heart just is tenderized. It's just touched. Wow, this guy's on his knees begging me that I won't do this. And he, he, had, he was moved with compassion and released him. So get that man out of prison. I love that man. I like that man. His heart has touched me and forgave him the debt. You no longer owe me a billion dollars. Woo! How, how many of you want, are looking for the guy that will let go of all your debt right here, huh? Especially as tax time is coming. But the story doesn't finish there. So that's a great story of us. We owe God for sins that we can't pay for eternity. God forgives us of everything. Wow. Verse 28, but that servant who just got set free because he fell on his knees and begged, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So that's like you owe like a hundred dollars. Okay, so he owed a billion. He gets totally set free. He's out now and his family's free. He doesn't owe a debt. And he finds a guy that owes him like a hundred bucks and he comes up to him and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Literally, the Greek language is, he grabbed his neck and started choking and throttling him. Pay me what you owe. This is a guy that just got set free from a billion dollars. You owe me a hundred, and he's choking this guy and throttling him around. Pay me what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him just like he had done previously and the master had mercy. But now this guy falls on his knees. I owe you a hundred bucks, I can't pay it. He falls on his knees saying, have patience with me. The exact same words. And I will pay you all. Verse 30, but different response. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison that day till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told the original master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called that man, said to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Meaning, basically, he's in jail the rest of his life. That which he had feared worse came upon him. Now, verse 35, Jesus summarizes the story. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you from his heart, if he from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay, so let look up here for a second. What Jesus is saying very simply is this. I'm going to forgive you of everything you've ever done. But because I forgive you of everything that you've ever done, whoever comes and offends you, you're obligated, you have to forgive them, him or her, however many times it takes, uh, for as long as it takes. And if you don't, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. How many would agree he's very serious about this? We don't get to mess around and dink around, and forgiveness is very, very powerful. Now look, we're only five weeks away. We're headed toward what we call Passion Week. So we're moving to, you know, from Palm Sunday, and by the end of the week, you know, Friday is when Jesus was lifted up on the cross and crucified. And on that day that he was crucified, beaten, tortured, all of the violence that was against him, the irony is we call it Good Friday. But it wasn't a good day for Jesus. In fact, it was the worst bad day Jesus ever had as a human being. Now, the truth of the matter is all of us have bad days. How many of you honestly have had some bad days recently? Can I see some hands? You got a pulse, you probably. All right. So um, how many of you kind of like you're having a bad day even this very week? Anybody having a bad day today? All right. Put your hands down. Let me ask you this. How many of you are thinking to yourself, yeah, my bad day is sitting right next to me. He's right, he's right over there, that guy. <laughs> we, got, we, we all have bad days. But you cannot compare our bad days with the bad day Jesus had, but I want you to know this. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that was the worst bad day of his earthly life. But he not only did what he did to save us, but Jesus did something on that day on the cross we're going to talk about this morning that has to do with forgiveness that is the foundation of the entire kingdom of heaven. And we're going to learn from Jesus. He's going to, we're going to study what he did, what he said, and how he responded to that bad day that will be the key for you and me so that on our worst day, on our bad day, that we can find an escape and we can find meaning. So I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, look at real quickly. So, number one, we're to look to Jesus. When you're having a bad day, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith that's going to deliver you. But what's interesting is that the writer of Hebrews says that when Jesus is being tortured, when he's being nailed, when he's being crucified, who for the joy that was set before him 
was able to endure the cross. Listen, there was, when Jesus was on the cross having the worst day humanly of his life, his mind was not on what was happening to him outwardly. His mind was thinking about something else. And Jesus' ability to think about something else was a source of joy, so much joy, so much powerful joy that the joy that was on his mind was more severe than the punishment of the bad day he was having on the outside. Does that, do you see what I'm saying? And we therefore can learn from him what was he doing on the cross? What was he thinking about? What was the source of that joy that gave him such power and victory? You know what the joy was? You and me. In other words, on the cross, while he's being crucified, he was thinking about how many human beings are going to be saved from every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe, how literally millions of men, women, boys, and girls from every language, every nation, every kindred, and every tribe upon the planet, not only from Adam, but all the way to the end in the second coming, would be delivered and would be saved and would be healed and would be forgiven and would become sons and daughters of God and would be in the family of God and share the kingdom with him for all of eternity. And that joy was more powerful than all of the horrible stuff that was happening on the outside. And I think that's amazing because he was being betrayed, arrested, trials that were illegal happening at night and then crucified. So with that on his mind, Jesus said something and did something, and this is the whole message in this next verse. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This is what we're going to learn from Jesus today. Let's read it out loud. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. Note that this is not only did Jesus say that, Father, forgive them. It's the first thing he said. And I want to make the case to all of us here this morning that that's the first thing we need to do when we're having our worst day, a bad day, when we're being hurt, when we're being offended, the very first thing that will deliver us and set us free is to determine in advance we're going to forgive those who have hurt us. That's what we can learn from Jesus Christ. And I'm going to put it uh, in this next line for you, it's kind of what we call a life lesson. I want you to write it down. We're trying to put it in as simple, blunt, direct, English, modern language as we possibly can. But this is what it is. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus to be able to endure bad days, forgive everyone who is trying to ruin your life. Forgive everyone. And believe me, there are people that want to ruin your life. Look, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But the devil is also real. He hates your guts, and he has a horrible plan for your life. Can I hear an amen on that? But not only that, but we live in a fallen, broken world. Obviously. And there are going to be people who, and, and nobody escapes this. I mean, Jesus did not escape this. He was God. He was perfect. He never did anything wrong. And there were people that hated him and crucified him and rejected him. So what, is, what do you think is going to happen to you? 
If there were people that want, were wanting to ruin the life of the only perfect human being that human history has ever known, what do you think is going to happen to you? There will be people that they're, they're, they will get satisfaction and joy waking up every morning whose only passion and desire is to ruin your life. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> and you know some of them. No matter what you do, no matter how nice you try to be, you try to win them or whatever else, it's almost like, you know, and, and here's the, what, it's bad enough that the world who are lost, that, that they want to ruin your life. What makes it doubly bad is if it's somebody who is actually saved and they even go to your church and they just, they just don't like you and they want to get you. It's almost like when they read the book of Ephesians about the gifts of the Spirit, they found that my gift is to ruin your life in whatever way that I can. It's very, very sad. And there are going to be people like that. And um, so, look, we have to forgive those who don't like us, are never going to like us, and are going to offend us. And we have to predetermine that's our attitude and that's our stance. Forgive, forgive, forgive. And it is so important Jesus put this concept of forgive from the get-go, from the beginning, predetermine you're going to forgive them. He put it into our daily prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. That is to be prayed daily. We need to forgive. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Let's read this out loud. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Um, Jesus is talking there even about the end times. He goes, the end times are going to be, man, people are going to be offended all the time. Hello, that's what's going on in the world right now. And then betray one another and will hate one another. Um, earlier in this chapter, Jesus said, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Uh, you can't get out of this world without being offended or ha without having people that just don't like you. We will not get through life without being offended because it's not possible. But here's the tragedy. When you get offended every time, you have to choose to forgive. And if you do not, if we do not, if we hold on to the hurt, the betrayal, the bitterness, or the unforgiveness, even if it's justified, Guess what that unforgiveness hurts? Guess who it hurts? You. What does it do to the other person? Zero. Nothing. Someone said that holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking a little bit of poison every day, hoping it'll kill the other person. <laughs> unforgiveness is toxic. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Let's read this out loud. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, this is a proverb, but a lot of wisdom in that. The word contention means fighting. These are the people that they could be family, they could be co-workers, they could be friends uh, to some degree, but you always find that you're striving with them. You're always fighting. You're always arguing. It's an atmosphere that you constantly find yourself in, and you can't get out of it. The enemy wants, if he knows you, you know, you're saved, but he wants to wear us out. 
with all the drama of everything else that is going on. Now, this is being exasperated because of what's happening now in, in our social media. So I want to speak to a moment for a moment to all the, the younger people especially. I mean, even for my generation, you know, wow, all of a sudden, okay, to, to go from, you know, I, to, to maps. How many remember that, that a map used to be a thing that you had to turn the page, you would go to the end of the line and, oh, I got to turn the page and you're trying to drive. How convenient was it to have this lady tell me, turn right here. <laughs> and it wasn't Vicky. It was another voice that was telling me <laughs> where to go. So there are a lot of conveniences to it. But when, you're, when you are young, listen. By the way, I just heard this. The average age today of a cell phone owner is 10.3 years of age or something like that. Now, here's what's sad. When you're 10, we're not even talking teenagers. When you're 10 and you got that thing and you're, you're still a, an unformed emotional human being and you care exaggerated big time, what do people think of me? It's an awkward age as you're growing and all these chemicals and changes are happening. And all it can take is one person to rip you up one side and down the other. And then all of a sudden they get mad, they get depressed, and then they think the whole world feels like that and they want to take their lives. So suicide's going, anxiety's going. So here's, here's what I want to say, especially to the young. Don't follow that nonsense. Disconnect. Don't listen. Don't care what other people think. The only person that matters what they think is God. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. We need to watch out and protect our young ones and our little ones. But if you hold on to this bitterness, here's what will happen. All of a sudden, you, if you have occasionally these outbursts of anger, where all of a sudden you explode, and this is happening a lot right now, everywhere, in the church, out of the church, in our culture, America, 2019, and this anger just, man, wow. And then all of a sudden, people look at you like, you know, who is that? And what's even more embarrassing is when it all comes out, and then you step back and go, wow, where did that come from? That wasn't me. Now, outbursts of anger is a symptom that also then leads to depression, because then you come in to condemn yourself, and the enemy jumps on you condemning yourself to make you feel even worse. And now you're on this emotional ride going up and down. And what happens is you start, without realizing it, we have a whole generation that through social media, supposedly we're open and available to 7 billion people, but in reality we're retreating further and further back till we have no contact because people are so mean. And they say such nasty and awful things, so I'm going to hide. And that's what the bars of the castle are all about. And you nurse the offense. You nurse the wound. You hide inside. Why? Because I'm not going to let anyone ever get that close to me to hurt me ever again. But guess what? You become the prisoner. The one who offended is out free doing what they do, but you're the one that is behind closed bars and doors, and you need to be set free. How do you get out of it? How do you get free of the depression, let alone the outbursts and all the rest? We must learn how to forgive. That's what the kingdom of heaven. So we ask the next question, what must we forgive? And I didn't put this in your notes, but very simple. I'm going to just say, well, let's look at Jesus' worst day, which is the cross. And the very same things he had to forgive are going to be the very same triggers you and I have to forgive. Number one, betrayal. 
Jesus was betrayed by one of his own guys, Judas Iscariot, but he was also betrayed by the 11 who all ran and fled in the moment he needed them. What do you do when the person that you count on as closest to you betrays you? Trust me, it's gonna happen. And then, secondly, false accusations. I, look, I don't mind when you know, somebody says, you know what, you're this or that, and then when it's true, you're kinda like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but what bugs me is when they make an accusation, I go, well, that one's actually not true. Does it bug anybody else when you get, you know, somebody's going after you, and it's not true. False accusation, hello Jesus, the whole thing of the trial, they accused him, and he wasn't guilty of one of the things they accused him of. Number three, rejection. Jesus, okay, he's rejected by a slice of the religious community, but now he's rejected by his own disciples who run and flee. What do you do when you feel abandoned, rejected by those you love and are closest to? Number five, abuse. Jesus was abused physically, mentally, and emotionally. And finally, on the cross, humiliation. I'm glad that Hollywood has never done this, but the truth of the matter, if you didn't know this, is that when they crucified people, there's not a stitch of clothing on them. They are crucified naked for the purpose of absolute maximum humiliation. And on top of that, then they spat upon him and mocked him. So I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Why did God send his son and allow him to be subjected to this? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says this. That's why he, Jesus, had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he, became, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, so that's after he resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and he would be able to help where help was needed as a perfect high priest. Jesus went through everything, so there's never a time and never a place where any human being can point a finger up in heaven and say, you don't know what I'm going through, or you don't know what it's like. And he, from up there, says, oh, not only do I know what you are going through, I went way deeper, way higher, way broader. I went to the ends of all of that. So we need to forgive. And Jesus prayed, first thing, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So there are things we think forgiveness is. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real clear, very direct. I've got a couple of the lines you can help me fill in the blank because I wanna describe what I am saying forgiveness is, and I wanna say what I am not saying and what forgiveness is not, all right? You ready? Number one, forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. There are some people that think, well, I can't forgive that. Because you, what you're telling me is to make it like it's no big deal. I didn't say that. We're not saying that. It is a big deal. It was wrong. It is a violation. Not only that, it's deeply serious. And if I may add, we feel if we forgive them, then they won't have any consequences. Oh, no. There will be consequences. But you let God be God. When we retain unforgiveness... The best way I can explain it is you become God in that person's life. You become their judge, and you ain't God. We cannot play God. 
We can't even get into heaven if we try to play God. There is only one God, and He is it. So I want you to know that forgiveness is not minimizing. It is serious. It will have consequences, but we let God be God. Number two, it is not reconciliation. A lot of people are like, why can't, if I just forgive him and then they're going to go along like whatever. Look, reconciliation takes two people. Not just you, the offended, but it takes the other. That's a whole other subject, and it's a worthy subject. I would describe reconciliation as second base, and it's a goal. It's the very next thing that we're heading to, but you can't go to second base until you've been to first base, and first base is forgiveness. If you get up to bat and you hit and it gets through the shortstop, and you run from home plate to second base, they tag you, you're out. You have to go to first base first. It is not reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people, but listen, forgiveness takes how many? One, and we must forgive. Number three, it's not about being fair. I can't, if I forgive them, that's not right. That's not fair. Okay, listen very, very carefully. You do not want to go this route of being fair. Not with God, because guess what's fair? What's fair is you pay for your own sins. <laughs> what Jesus did is very unfair. He paid for others' sins. How many are glad that God was gracious and merciful to you? So it's not about being fair. Forgiveness is not about giving what someone deserves, but what they need. And then the fourth thing, the last thing that I want to say is, because there are a lot of people, even believers, who give kind of lips, okay, yeah, forgive them, try to move on, but we're nursing bitterness and hurt in our hearts, and we just go, it's not possible. And I want to say to you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I reject it. I renounce it. It is not true. It is demonic. And may you be delivered from that lie in the name of Jesus. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It is not impossible to do. You and I can do it. We can forgive. That's what it means to be a child of God. How do we do it? Now, that's a good question, and here's the answer. Philippians 4.13. <laughs> I love this. Let's read it out loud. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, look up here. Say the first two words of that verse. I can. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I can. I can what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let me just say, okay, so you're going, okay, now I know where you're going. All right, I got to forgive him again. But I want to go beyond just a moment. There's three things you need to do to make it deep and permanent. And where you, how many of you want to not just forgive, but want to experience a whole new supernatural experience of closeness and intimacy with God. You, 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 you ready? There's three things you got to do, not believe or think, but you got to do. Number one, so you got somebody in mind. And by the way, I'm just telling you, I'm, I got people on my list that I'm working this on. I got people like, oh, dude, you're so, you're, 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 you're right there, dude. <laughs> so I'm with you. We all got somebody. And I know, you know who it is. God knows who it is. So number one, you have to pray for them. Now, just say, I forgive them, and then try to forget about it. That doesn't do anything to your heart. You have to pray for them. Why? Jesus said, pray for them. Pray for those who offend you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. You got to pray for them. 
So I'm like, okay, this is what I used to do. Okay, I gotta pray for him. Probably gotta find a Bible verse and I'd be reading in the Psalms and I'm reading a Psalm of David and I find one that I really like. And David prayed one time and it's in the Bible. Dear God, for my enemies, I want you to break their teeth in their jaws. He just prayed. And I said, Lord, I accept that verse. I claim that verse. I want you to break their teeth in their mouths. But then, though David wrote that and it's in the Bible, Jesus comes along and says, no, you have to actually pray for them. You can't pray those kinds of prayers. Number two, not only do you have to pray for them, number two, you have to bless them. Ooh, now we're going to a deeper level. We must bless them. What does that mean to bless them? To speak well of them. Ah! I will not let a curse come out of my mouth about them, privately or publicly. Ouch! I must speak well of them. Jesus said, bless those who spitefully use you. He, he wants, that's, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed for us. He blessed us. He prayed that we would be saved and that we would believe and be part of his family. So bless them, speak well of them, do not anymore. I'm telling you, curses coming out of your mouth towards someone who has hurt you is like drinking toxin that will poison you. Number three, we can't have just pray and bless them, we gotta do good for them. Do good for them, some way, somehow, and some measure to some degree. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.